Let's get real as we get into Warrior Part 2 today. Our thoughts can be crazy and all over the place. How many of you, let's just be honest, already since you sat down or stood there during worship this morning, you've kind of had a crazy thought come into your head out of nowhere and you're like, where did that come from? Anybody? All right, I'm not alone, right? We're all in that together that our thoughts can, can do crazy things. And so just a confession. I can be an incredibly, in an incredibly serious moment uh, kind of like this one, you know, I take, I take preaching God's word really seriously, but I can be in a crazy, mo- in a serious moment like this and start thinking about a cheeseburger. Can anybody relate, right? I can be in an incredibly light and cheerful moment, hanging out with people. I was sitting around a bonfire with some guys last night and in a moment where it, it should be carefree and just hanging out and enjoying life. And And in those moments, I could be weighed down with some pressure or circumstance and literally not even hear the words that are coming out of other people's mouths. Can anybody relate? Our thoughts. Sometimes they're hard to wrangle. They're hard to control. They're all over the place. The lights are on, but no one's home. Or the person that is home is a thousand miles away and just physically here. Anybody get in trouble for daydreaming during school growing up? You know, you're sitting there and it's like the, the, the teacher might as well be the, the teacher off Charlie Brown. And it's like, wah, wah, wah. And your eyes are out the window. It's a beautiful day. And you're a thousand miles away. I have an amazing talent that I can be eating one meal and be thinking about the next meal. Right? The brain is a powerful thing. Present, but not present at the same time. You know, life over the last one and a half years has been anything but normal. You know, I think that a normal sentiment is that we're all kind of mentally tired, we're physically tired, we're emotionally tired uh, because of some of the societal kind of uh, conflicts and stuff. We're, we're even relationally tired. It's just like, ah, oh, and we long for rest in our thought life. If you remember from last week, the theme for the series is Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. And I want to encourage you, if you missed last week, to go online and, and either through a podcasts or video, you can watch it uh, on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts or whatever your platform is. But we talked about this theme verse, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so for this week, underline in your notes, heavenly places, or in your Bible. Maybe just, if if you don't mind writing in your Bible, you know, some people don't, some people do, just underline heavenly places. And so throughout this series, you know, we're talking about picking the right battles in life, We're talking about using the weapons of warfare. We're talking about getting and staying battle ready. Why? Because life is too important and too much is at stake to take a haphazard approach, to just go through life unintentionally. And last week we said that the greater the battle in life, the more important your vision for life is. And vision is, is where God's heart and our story intersect. When our life catches a glimpse of, of our part in God's grander story, and we catch that glimpse of a vision for our life. It's an amazing thing. But today, we're talking about the battle in our thought life, and we want to talk about how, would we, how do we be warriors in our thought life? I love what Craig Groeschel says. He says, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest 
thoughts. And what we think shapes who we are. King James says it like this, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, right? And so our thought life is a powerful thing. And if we're not ready to fight the battle in our thoughts, then it is a heavenly place in our life that is gonna cause us a lot of trouble. So why, why do we take our thought life so seriously? You and I, every single person that's ever walked the planet, it really has two parts to them. We have material parts. These are the temporary parts of our body, our flesh and our blood that, you know, just like the Bible says, we came from the dust to the dust will return. And so these bodies are not forever. The Bible even says when we go to heaven, we'll, we'll get brand new ones. Isn't that awesome? And so this body is temporary. And then there's immaterial parts of you, your soul, your spirit, the parts that will live forever. God has put an eternal, remember he made us in his own image and, and in making us in his own image, there are parts of you and I that will never die. Now we can be spiritually dead or spiritually alive and that's what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about in John chapter three, that man, your spirit man needs to be born again. So, so when we talk about being born again, we're talking about our spirit. But your soul will live forever either eternally with God in his presence or separated from God in a place called hell. And so this is, these are truths from the beginning of time that God has imprinted inside of us. And so you're not just flesh and blood. That's why we say we're not in a battle just against flesh and blood. We're in a, a battle against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so if there's parts of you that are not just temporal, but there's parts of you that are also eternal, will live forever. And if your thought life comes out of your soul, it comes out of your mind, it comes out of the part of you that is going to live forever, then your thought life is one of those heavenly places. You ever think about it like that? That even your thoughts can be spiritual they're important to know what's going on and be ready to fight, to think the right things and to reject and push out and corral the wrong things. We gotta take it seriously because it's a part of our life that will last forever. Reminds me of the story of, of, of Lazarus in the New Testament, the one that was you know, a beggar and, and he goes to heaven and the, the master that shunned him went to hell and the, 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 the master when he was in hell crying out for help from Lazarus in heaven, he remembered what went on in the previous life when he was flesh and blood. Your thoughts are eternal. And so we gotta take it seriously. You've heard me say before that what you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. And you're gonna hear me say it a, a lot over the years. As long as I'm your pastor, that's gonna be true because I think it's one of the, the, the foundational principles of our life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so what we think about him and how we see God is the most important thing about us. I love what James Allen says. He says, you are today where your thoughts have brought you and you'll be tomorrow where your thoughts take you. 
And so our thoughts are a serious thing, but we don't always take them that serious. We let them run all over the place unhindered, and I am number one just as guilty, right? So they're serious things, but we don't always take them serious. And, and I love how it's illustrated when, when John Maxwell says this. He says, when you hear someone say, now this is just off the top of my head, expect dandruff, right? <laughs> you know, because people will say all kinds of things. It just comes off the top of their head. It just comes out of their heart and they don't even really think about it. And yeah, and usually when, when you get unformed, unarticulated thoughts, they're not always really good. I guarantee you that as I am your pastor, there will become things that come out of my mouth from this pulpit that you're like, I'm not sure you thought about that, <laughs> right? Because we're human. But in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, it says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart also will be. And a lot of times we apply this verse to money. Like, hey, where you put your treasure? And we immediately think money. But treasure is anything eternal because you can't take your money to heaven, right? And so just like, you know, he's saying, put your treasures in heaven, man, we need to value what's eternal. Our thought life, our soul is eternal. And so I'm gonna value what is eternal over what's temp temporal. In Colossians 3.2, next verse in your notes, it says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. In Ephesians 6.14, it says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. We're gonna talk about that more in a minute. In Philippians 6, or 4, 6 through 8, it says, don't worry. And some of you say, man, we could just stop right there. You know, I've learned all I need to know for the day. But don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And so from these, these passages, you know, we're going to extrapolate some thoughts today of, you know, what are the enemies of our thought life and how do we fight? How do we become warriors in the battle for our thoughts? And what are the weapons that we're going to use in this battle for our thought life. And so the first enemy of our thought life, you can write it in those blanks that are provided for you. If you're online with us today, you can open up your app and the notes are available there. But the first enemy for our thought life is anxiety. It's anxiety. You know what anxiety is? It's a fight or flight mechanism. You know, when you get in trouble, when, when, you, know, when you should be worrying about something, you know, something wells up within you. And that can be a very good thing. And this is a good thing, except for when you can't turn it off and when you neither need to fight or flight, right? When you don't need to fight, you don't need to flee, then that should be something that we turn off, that we say, hey, I'm gonna bring that into submission. You know, anxiety flows from how we feel. Anxiety, could, another way we could say it is it's feelings gone wild, Feelings gone out of control. Feelings that have just completely gone out 
of control. Here's a great thought for you as you learn how to battle your anxiety. Feelings are good advisors, but they're horrible leaders. Think about that. Your feelings, they're meant to guide you sometimes. God gave them to you. He created you as a, as a being that has emotions, that feels things, and is anxious at certain times for good reason. But feelings are good advisors, but horrible leaders. One of the wisest counselors I ever talked to said, told me that feelings aren't right, they're not wrong, they just are. They come, they go, but it's not what you feel, it's what's real. It's not what you feel, it's what's real. And so obviously, according to scripture, there's a difference between having normal, anxious feelings where, man, that needs attention, and worrying, anxiety, where we're just crippled with it, which is why the scripture says, don't worry. And so that's the first enemy of our thought life. The second enemy of our thought life that I think is super prevalent for us in our day and age is insecurity. It's insecurity. Listen, insecure thoughts lead to irrational thoughts all day, every day. When I'm insecure about myself, when I don't feel like I'm good enough, then I'll tell myself and believe in my heart that I can't do things that God has created me to do. And so it's a, this is a battlefield. I cannot be insecure if I've got the Holy Spirit living in me. Now, do I battle it? Absolutely. But it's a fight I've got to win, right? I've got to win it. You look throughout scripture and you see insecure people all over the place. We see Gideon. He told the angel, I'm the lowest of all, of all, in all the tribes and I'm the weakest in my clan. I'm a nobody. He was insecure. The angel looked at him and said, you're a mighty warrior, right? Moses at the burning bush, I can't speak. I can't, I can't, I can't. And God said, hey, buckle up, partner. Let's go, right? Peter. When Peter first came in contact with Jesus, he fell before Jesus after the multitude of fish. You know, they caught so many fish and he said, I'm a sinful man, leave me, I can't even be around you. He was insecure. Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament said, I'm too young, God. I'm too young, I can't speak. I don't, I don't have the words to say, I'm too young. And then the tragedy of King Saul in the Old Testament, if you know the story, his insecurity was his downfall. It took him out. He was supposed to be a warrior, but his insecurity made him a failure. The third enemy in, in the battle for our thoughts is unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. I think we deal with this more today than maybe ever in history. We expect so much. And I think maybe because it's, we, it's because we see perfection everywhere, right? Just kind of like that video that we saw before service of the guy and you know, and we're choosing all this stuff to put into us. And so we see perfection in the shows we watch. We see perfection in the, the, the things we read, perfectly edited documents. And when you read one of those books or whatever, you're like, I can't write, right? I can't, I can't, I can't. You know, because you're looking at something that has been, for all intents and purposes, perfected. And so we get these unrealistic expectations because we watch the shows and we're like, my marriage isn't like that. My life's not like that. I don't look like that. 
And then when our marriage or our life doesn't meet our, our preconceived expectations for how it was supposed to go down, or, or when my expectations about how you treat me are let down because I'm not perfect or vice versa, when you, know, you let me down, it's like, man, our thought life just goes crazy. Have you ever let somebody down? Have you ever come to that place where you're like, man, I, maybe I just need to lower my expectations in a healthy way because I'm putting way too much expectation on others. Another battle or another enemy of our thought to life is a victim mentality, a victim mentality. And here's just a picture I want you to think about. If you're, if you're living life as a victim, you're looking at your life from the outside in. You're, you're looking at all the circumstances and, and it's almost like, man, well, yeah, they're, they're doing that because that happened to them and this happened to them and this happened to them. And don't get me wrong, when things happen to you in life, it hurts and you gotta deal with it and you gotta, you gotta process that. And so in no way am I, am I belittling pain that happens to us in life, not at all. But at some point, I've gotta step out of that victim mentality and I've gotta get in the driver's seat of my life. I gotta take responsibility, why? Because no one else is ever gonna take responsibility for my life like I can. Right? And then the last enemy of our thought life is pride. Pride. Pride always happens in the mind, in our thoughts, first. It always happens there before it fleshes itself out in an action, before it fleshes itself out in an arrogant statement. It always happens here first. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble right? He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I read a story. Um, uh, it's, it's in uh, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Great book. If you, if, you, if you would like to read just about the science of habit, you could check it out in there. But he tells the story of, of Procter and Gamble and the creation of Febreze. Maybe because we're in Cincinnati, you've heard this story. So if you have, just bear with me today. But when they created Febreze, they're like, we're going to create a spray that will take away scents. Because you, know, you and I, but let's just get real for a minute. You know, the, the, the original sprays in bathroom, they don't really work. It just is like one smell mixed with another and it's just gross, right? And so the, the scientists are like, hey, I want to create, they want to create something that literally like takes the smell away. And so they found it. The amazing research and development people at Procter & Gamble, they came up with some chemicals, something they, they put into Febreze and they're like, oh, this is amazing. We have the answer to life, right? And so they started doing field testing and, and market research and trying to figure out, you know, how, you know, is this going to be a hit before they take it to the market? And so they find this woman. And zero offense today if you have cats. <laughs> but this was a cat lady who happened to have nine cats. And not only did she have nine cats, but they must not have been managed well because her house had the odor. And if you've ever smelled the odor, you know what I'm talking about, right? And it was one of those situations where everyone smelled the odor except her. And so guess who didn't care about Febreze? She didn't. And so, you know, they asked her, do you not smell this horrible smell? And she said, oh, I notice it maybe once a month, right? 
And it's like, man, back last year when we moved to the area and we were looking at houses and we, were, uh, we, we looked at quite a few before God blessed us with where we're at. And man, we walked into one house and we about fell over at the door. And so because of that experience and when I read this story, I'm like, I've been there, <laughs> right? And I don't even think that house had, house had nine cats. But, um, but yeah, that's how pride works in our life. It's that sneaky that we can't even smell the own stench of pride in our own lives. It's a scary thing. How do you fight a battle against something you can't even see, smell, taste? You don't even know it's there, right? And so these are the enemies. And just, and just to give another illustration, the Bible, in the Bible, God says that pride is a stench in his nostrils. And so what a, what, a, what a deep question to think, God, in my battle for my thought life, is there something that's super stinky to you and I just don't smell it? And so what do we do? What do we do with the pride? What do we do with the anxiety, the insecurity, the unrealistic expectations? What do we do if we've we found ourselves trapped in a victim mentality? And I just wanna say from the get-go this morning, there are no easy answers. There's no just like, well, just quote this verse and everything will be right. And if you do X, Y, and Z today and, and only $9.99 for shipping and handling, and but wait, there's more. There's none of that. This is a battle, okay? And so I'm not minimizing the, the, how severe the battle for your thought life is, but here are some tools from God's word that you can use, the weapons that you can use in the fight. And so let's read that verse again, Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he's done. When then, underline then, you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts, underline that, on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And so what do we do? The first weapon of warfare in our thought life is the truth. The first weapon of warfare in our life is the truth. And the best person to tell you the truth is yourself. Because a lot of times when other people try to bring truth into our life, we don't want to hear it. And so, the, so a posture of your heart that you want to... Take up, if you really want to get serious about the battle for your thought life, is God, help my heart to be good soil for truth, no matter what it is, right? I love what Andy Stanley says. He's like, I'll, I'll be honest with myself even when the truth about myself hurts, right? And so truth, what is Ephesians 6, 14? This is the first step in fighting spiritual battles. It says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. Now, when this verse was written back then in those times, belts literally held everything together. It was more than just keeping, up, keeping your pants up. And, and that's beside the point that these days, a lot of pants that people are wearing don't need a belt to keep them up, right? Have you ever thought about that? It's like, oh man, uh, I don't even need a belt with these pants because of the style these days. But back then, it wasn't a fashion piece. 
It was a practical device to hold everything together. It was for equipment and tools and, 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 you know, and so when you think about belt, I want you to think more like a carpenter's belt. Man, he's got the tools, it's holding things together. Man, that plumber, it's keeping his pants up. You know what I mean? Let, we got the picture. It is functional. Because if you think about it back then, they're not wearing pants, you know, they're wearing robes and stuff. And so imagine if you try to fight a battle and everything's just flying everywhere. It's like, I need that belt to hold everything together so that I can move freely, so that I, I don't get distracted, so that when I'm swinging my sword, it doesn't get caught on my robe. The belt had purpose. And just like that, man, when you speak tr the truths of God's word over your life, and when you say, God, I wanna know the truth no matter what, it's gonna hold your life together like glue. Truth, all truth is God's truth. He's the author of truth. He's the inventor of truth. The truth is your friend. Satan, what does the Bible say? He's the father of lies. So we fight lies with truth. The second weapon in your battle for your thoughts is prayer. What does it say in our, in our text in Philippians? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. When I pray, I'm seeking God's truth. I'm meditating on the truths in his word. I'm proclaiming his truths over the fields of battle in my mind, right? Sometimes I have to tell myself what to believe because I've been deceived. Have You ever been there? That I've got to proclaim new truths over my life because what I read in God's word is not what's going on in my mind. It's a battle. And you say, well, how do I even know what to believe? I say, does it line up with scripture? Does it line up with the character of God throughout his word? And I wash my thoughts. I wash my mind. I give myself a spiritual shower. I use the spiritual soap of God's word to give myself new thoughts. I pray about it. I don't worry about it. I pray about it. The next weapon that we see in our text is thanks. Thanks. Listen, it's impossible for bitterness to flow from a life that is fueled by thankfulness. It is impossible for the river of your life to produce bitter water if it's coming from a well or a spring of thankfulness. It just can't happen. I love what Andy Andrews says, and you've probably heard me say this before. He says, it's impossible for the seeds of depression to take root in a thankful heart. Isn't that good? I'm gonna be thankful. And guys, if you try this today, you're like, oh, I tried being thankful for today. It didn't work. Give it a few months. Give it a few months. Because here's what I know about your brain and your mind. You know, when you think thoughts over the long haul, you create ruts, kind of like you drove in the mud over and over and over. And so sometimes it takes a while to rewrite those ruts and get some new ruts in your mind. But thankfulness, gotta be thankful. <clears throat> and we could, we could list a zillion scriptures. I encourage you to go to your Google. What does the Bible say about being thankful? and you'll have tons of tools in your tool belt to be thankful with. Another tool that we wanna use in our fight and the, the, the battle for our thoughts is God's peace. Not my peace, God's peace. Not my efforts, I'm resting in God's peace. This is one of the most powerful if-then statements in scripture, right? Because in the, in, in, in the passage in Philippians 4, it says, then, 
you will experience God's peace. That is huge. If I don't worry, if I pray, if I have a thankful life, not just giving thanks before my Chick-fil-A, right? I have a thankful life. I've got just a, a well of living water, joyfulness flowing out of my life. Then God's peace I'll experience, right? So I've got my job and I got God's job. And the Bible, this is a promise we could stand on. If we don't worry, pray about everything, give thanks, we're going to experience God's peace. And then the last weapon that we use in our, in, in our warfare today is control. Control. Now you say, Joe, how in the world am I going to control it? Right? And you might say, well, Joe, you, there's so much in your life. How, how, how is control going to be a weapon in my warfare? What does the next part of the verse says? It says, fix your thoughts. Control them. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and so on and so forth. In another passage in Galatians 5, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is, and there's all kinds of amazing things that we get really excited about. Love. Oh, man, we can all get behind love. We can all just cheer. Yes, we got to love each other. Let's all hug and sing kumbaya. Awesome, right? We can all get behind joy. Ooh, it feels good. I love to be joyful. We can all get behind peace. Like, oh, it just feels good. And then you get later on in the list and it slaps you up the head and it says self-control. And it's like, boom, where did that come from? Like I was feeling good all throughout this passage. Love, joy, peace, patience. Oh man, this feels good. Kindness, gentleness. Oh, I love when people are kind and gentle to me. I can relate with that one. Self-control. It's like, what? 